They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarasha. With your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Talking with Tarashuk, the podcast where I, Will Tarashuk, the Tarashuk is in the name, of course, uh, sits down with anyone I find generally interesting. One caveat, they can't have a podcast because they have a podcast. Then they go to my other podcast, The Ambiguous Podcast Solution. But today I'm speaking with an author, my life and a former life, my career path and a former life. This man is named Barry Soames. He's the author of the Beware of the Banker book. Uh, The book is a main fiction paperback inspired by the true story of Bonnie and Clyde and follows their story fairly closely. Research from his book came from his own experiences working in a commercial bank. He is the graduate of COPS, which stands for Citizen Oriented Police School, and has over 25 years involved in the emergency medical services. Barry, there is Mm. so much to dig into here. And I'm so excited to get into it. How are you? Welcome to the show. Your very first podcast, man. Welcome. Congratulations. That's, that is right. You made it possible. I love that you're dressed in a tie. It's it's so formal. I'm just in a t-shirt and a sweatshirt because it's comfortable. So yeah. I, I hope I hope this is how you normally dress and you are normally comfortable. So welcome. Tell people about yourself, yeah. what you do, actually, where you're from. Actually, I'm just getting home from work. Oh, so, uh, perfect still, timing. So what's what's uh, what's the day job when you're not writing books? Right now, I am a rental agent for Avis Rental Cars. Okay. Rent cars. Yeah. And you're up in Maine. In Maine. So almost all of my work is with tourists coming to Maine and greeting them, getting them into a car, and off they go. Well, you must, you like must the, be super busy this time of year. The, leave, the leaves changing yes. up there in Maine? So yes. It's, yeah. Yes. Yes. I'd right be surprised if my right parents now. went up there. My parents are always up in Maine. They're both retired, so they just travel to New England all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said you were from Massachusetts. Yes, I am from Massachusetts. Yeah, it's gorgeous up there this time of year. I'm currently down in Jersey. Just about at its peak right now. And you've you've always been in Maine, born and raised in Maine? I was born at the Maine Medical Center in Portland, and I've never lived more than 15 miles from that hospital. Wow. And my ancestors came to Maine back in the mid-1700s. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that. Your grandfather, uh, no, your descendant of the founder of the village of Soamesville. The That's first right. permanent settlements on Mount Desert Island in Maine. So let That's me ask right. you, did your last name come from the town or the town come from the last name? Town came from the last name. Town came from the last name. And where is your family originally from? Uh, they came here from Gloucester, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And then from there, previous to that, from England. So how did that ha- how did that happen? Like, do you have the story of your direct descendant who found the yeah. village? Like, tell, yeah. tell me that story. Uh he was a sea captain based in Gloucester and came to Maine to get lumber from the, you know, Maine forest, mm-hmm. you, know, tr- you know, trees, whatever, and went back and forth. And I don't know if you're familiar with Mount Desert Island, but there's a fjord that cuts it right down the middle. It's uh, the only fjord on the entire eastern seaboard. And when there were storms, they would go in with their ship and uh, 
get out of the storm's way by hiding in the fjord. Uh, but there were uh, 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 gosh, what's Native Americans uh, that didn't really care to have them come in and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and shelter during the storm because that was their territory. So they learned to bring a, a couple of barrels of rum with them whenever they pulled in, and they traded the rum for safe passage, and eventually became quite friends with the with them. And uh, several people tried to settle the island, but but they were dr- uh, driven away. But my ancestor had good relations, got a grant. From, at that time, Maine was part of Massachusetts. Uh huh. Yep. And. Um, got a grant from the governor of Massachusetts that if he could actually settle there, he, he could uh, start a you know, permanent settlement and take, claim the property. So he convinced his sailors to come up here to Maine and start this little village and settle there and you know, start a, a, you know, like a lumber yard. And instead of shipping the lumber out, they would mill it there and then send it off on, on cargo ships. So they settled there and named the town after himself, Somersville, and, and the fjord is called Som Sound. Wow, that's that's really cool. So how and, did you, how did you how did you find that out? Like, did you have to go through public record? Like, how do you? Oh, that's, no, were uh, stories passed down from ancestors. My family lived there right up until my father. Wow, you know, on the island. Okay, wow. And so you know, as a kid, I would go up there summers and. You know, to the song, you know, this is your, your town. This is Songsville, right. which was very cool. I bet you got to make up free drinks for life over there. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. It was funny because my little brother would always say, I'm going to grow up and be the mayor of Songsville. And I says, well, I want to be fire chief. <laughs> um, so why, but, why leave? How come you don't live there now? Uh, my father left because there was just no work there. Mm. You know, he came to the city of Portland for a job and, you know, and that's where I grew up. Do you still go back? Oh yeah. Oh, that's oh, it's awesome. A beautiful, it's the most beautiful place in the face of the earth. I'm I'm really jealous. You know what? I'm gonna go there just for you. I'm like one day I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna tell my parents to go there too. Somesville, yeah. Maine. Um, yeah, it's right on the edge of Acadia National Park. So what what year was it settled? Like how far back are we talking here? Oh, 1759, I believe. Okay. So okay. So still it was still a colony back then. So that was pre-America. Yeah. yeah, just before the revolution. See, because my my story with like that time period is that like the house I grew up in was originally a farmhouse in Braintree, Massachusetts. Um, Braintree, Massachusetts. Braintree, yes. So if you're familiar with Quincy, Massachusetts, where John Adams and John Quincy Adams were born, that was that was originally all of Braintree, like all of modern day Quincy was all of Braintree. So the guy who owned my house, it was built in like. They don't know for sure, but they think it was built in the early 1700s, late 1600s, like 1690s. Wow. So the original foundation, like the steps, the steps are really steep. There's a brick oven stove in my in my kitchen that obviously doesn't work. Like the basement's the original foundation, the wood, the nails, the original wooden nails. So my connection to that part of the world is literally where I grew up in. But your connection is literally the place your family founded. So I like... (laughs) <laughs> I like that because it's it's just like it's it's like a a fun fact that you can just bring up and it's always interesting. Someone's always gonna be like, "That's the coolest thing I've ever heard." Because the fact that your well, ancestor founding a founding a town is one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Yeah, and I plan to retire there. No, oh, well, yeah, yeah. How many more years are you thinking? When when's what's the when's the plan for retirement? 
Oh, another 10 years, maybe. Okay. Well, keep yeah. it going, man. Keep it going. So tell me about the book. Tell me about the yeah. book. Beware of the Be- banker. Give me the Beware pitch. The Let's bank. hear it. It's, well, like you said earlier, it's a modern day version of Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, it's fiction book, Maine fiction book, take place in Maine. And it's about a banker who, uh, we, we had a casino come to Maine a few years ago. First, first one in Maine. Mm-hmm. And this banker goes up like every Friday night and budgets a hundred dollars and ends up losing 200. And then he finds that he can make more money if he goes to the big casino in Connecticut, Foxwoods, and he starts losing more and more money. And he runs into some loan sharks who help help him out of his, his problems, but they're charging huge interest rates. And then he feels like he's, he's in so much trouble debt wise that he starts thinking, how can he rob from his own bank? Mm. You know, how could he, he's a branch manager of a small branch, but, and just sees the cash in the, the safe every day and just sits there at his desk trying to uh, come up with plans to, you know, embezzle from his bank. And he runs into a young man. Um, he go there's a bar in Portland that every Tuesday night has $2, uh, what do you call it? Two dollar. Well, it's two dollar Tuesdays. Okay. You can get a pint of beer for two bucks every Tuesday night. So he goes to this bar every every Tuesday night, and he makes friends with a young man who's a trash man. And uh, you know, they for some reason they're there every Tuesday night together, and they become buddies. And the the young man's about fifteen years younger than him. And then on Thursday nights, he's a single guy. The branch man is a single guy. He goes to the same restaurant every Thursday night and gets a big bowl of spaghetti, eats half of it, takes the other half home, you know, to spread out over the weekend. But he has the same waitress every every night that he goes there, and she is absolutely stunningly beautiful. And she becomes she's she trusts him because he doesn't make passes at her like every other guy in the restaurant. And she starts to see him as almost a father figure. You know, she grew up having no idea who who her father was and her mother avoided her, Uh, you know, just saw her as a nuisance. And uh, she never really had any close ties with an older man. So she trusts, trusts him and becomes, uh, you know, seeing him as almost her father. And then he starts to put a plan together to take advantage of these kids and decides that he would call one Clyde and one Bonnie and, and make it a game of it. That You know, there'll be modern day Bonnie and Clyde's and, uh, the kid who's the trash man um, trusts this guy. You know, he's been, met him and he's a banker and all this. And he trusts him. So, and it turns out he had done time for uh, petty theft, which Clyde had done in the real life. He had served several years in prison. One of the reasons he turned to crime was to get even with the, the policeman who put him in jail. And the girl, when she was in high school, um, uh, one of the teachers read the story of Bonnie and Clyde and she was fascinated with Bonnie. You know, here was a woman who was standing up, got respect, people listened to her, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And she always had this like fantasy of someday I want to be a Bonnie. So one day the guy's having dinner at her restaurant and he confides to her that he had just found a way to steal from the bank. Um, And I won't go into the details, but it was through making loans to people you know, had no, uh, no possible way of paying them back. Right. And he took a commission under the table. And she was fascinated to think that 
here this customer of hers turns out to be, <laughs> you know, a thief. And it, and he says he's he's looking for someone to help him, you know, uh, with with a, you know, robbery. And, uh, she her eyes get big and she says, "I'm your girl," you know, <laughs> "I'm your girl," and she sees it as her way to be Bonnie. So he puts the two two together as Bonnie and Clyde, and the story goes from there. So let's talk about Bonnie and Clyde. Now, yeah. I've heard of them. I know who they yeah. are. Never, yeah. not, never saw the movie, read any book, etc. Yeah. I know they robbed banks, right? They robbed banks? Yes. And, and, a, ga- and gas stations. And gas stations. And it's a famous <laughs> scene that's been spoofed a million times in The Simpsons and others, right off the cliff and into sunset, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But <laughs> I didn't know it was based on a true story. Like, I learned, a- I learned that from you, that Bonnie and Clyde is based on a true story. So... Uh, next, to Jesse, next to Jesse James, they were the most notorious outlaws in U- United States history. Oh, that's crazy. So yeah. how much slash, um, how does their, how did their story inspire you? Like, is this something you've been following like your uh, whole life? Like so you, you're, you're head first in a Bonnie and Clyde. You well, know everything about Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. Uh, there was a movie that came out in the seventies starring uh, Warren Beatty and he was Clyde. And it was an incredibly fun movie to watch you know with all the adventures and what they would do is choose a bank right on a state line Mm -hmm. and back then policemen didn't have radios Mm -hmm. this was back probably in the probably in the 30s 20s or 30s policemen didn't have radios and they couldn't cross state lines you know if it was a car chase they had to stop at state lines and so Bonnie and Clyde knew this so they would purposely rob a bank right on a state line then they'd cross the line and the police couldn't follow them. And the police had no way to radio to the other state, you know, to tell them, you know, watch for this car. And so what they would do is once they crossed the line, they would park and get out of the car and just make faces at the policeman. Oh my God. <laughs> and they just made a, uh, a joke out of these policemen. And of course it enraged the policemen even more and more because they wanted to catch these kids. Um, Was well, that, is that still true today? Can cops, like a different, no. different, different state, they can't they can't go into another state and arrest they, them. They, no, they, they have to go through the other state. They, no, they can cross lines, and yeah. now they have radios, so they can radio, you know, okay. to other policemen, you know. Um, but no, back then they couldn't, but now they can. That's crazy. Well, I guess back then, you know, it was fifty states. Everything, every state was super different. We're now trying to lump states all together. Right. Um, but they robbed a gas stations just for one reason. You know, gas stations don't have a lot of cash, mm. uh, but they had gumball machines. Did they <laughs> and take they the quarters. Be, they would steal no, they'd steal the gumballs. The gum- <laughs> what? <laughs> you, know, you know, again, just as a joke. It's a joke. So they're like and they're like they not only they thieves and robbers, they're jokesters and tricksters. Yeah, yeah. And love to make and see he was in jail, Clyde, for several years mm-hmm. and just said, I'm gonna get even with these policemen, you know, for putting me in jail. And this was his way of doing it. So how much research do you think you've done over the years of just Bonnie and Clyde? There's not that much written about them. Really? There really isn't, no. Why is that? Because they're so famous. So famous. and I'm not even sure there's a book about them. Huh. Well, most of what you have to research is on uh, Google. Or newspapers, old newspaper articles. Or, old newspapers, yeah. Huh. Well, interesting. Well, you know what? So, so I thought it would be kind of a cool twist to say, what if Bonnie and Clyde existed today? And there you go. And that's that and first, that's that's first of your book. Is this your first book? Yes. Is your first yeah. book, and is it is it, is it is it is it out? Is it currently released? 
Yes, it is. Where can they find it? Where can we buy it? Amazon or through my website. And I I got a cool uh, uh, web address. It's uh, paperbackwriter.biz. Paperbackwriter.biz. And to get that paperback writer, I thought was so cool. And we'll put that. That is really cool. We'll put that in the show notes. Anyone who's interested can go buy it. Um, Highly recommended. So, yeah, um, it's a ton of. I had a ton of fun writing it. So, every people have a ton of fun reading it. So, this is your first book. How did you become a writer? Because you're, you're, as you said, you're um, selling cars, right? In for tourists in Maine. (laughs) I'm renting cars. Renting cars. Excuse me. Renting cars in Maine. How do you become a writer? Uh, Actually, I was encouraged by a high school. Uh, English teacher, you know, way back then, um, for two things. Uh, I took a fiction course from him, and he introduced me to books by an author called Kurt Vonnegut. And up until then, we had just really read the classics and that sort of thing. And I'd never read a science fiction book like that with so many cool ideas and strange things and sparked a great interest in reading. Um, And then we had, we wrote uh, we read a book called Great Expectations once, and the teacher wasn't convinced. It was very dull and dreary. Heming- and- Hemingway, I think. Great Expectations. No, no, Heming- no, no, no. No, Charles Dickens. 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 Yeah. Dickens. Yeah. Um, but it was a very dull book, and the teacher was convinced that none of us had really read it. So she asked us to um, write an essay about one of the characters in the book. Just pick a character and write about him as an essay. And I thought about it, and I said, okay, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to write a story like I was the character in the book and what I was thinking during the book and even after the book, what happened to me afterwards, which really showed that I really understood you know, what was going on inside, inside the character's mind. And when the teacher got it, she was floored, and she read it to the class. She posted it on you know, the chalkboard and... And you, she, you did fan fiction. That's incredible. No, she just said, this is just so cool to be so creative. Yeah. And that really sparked an interest in, in writing. And for years, I've been entering little writing contests where, you know, you write a 500-page story and there are cash prizes and whatever. But, um, I never won any prizes, but I've always enjoyed entering the contest and the different rules and themes that they have you do really challenges you uh, creatively. And then I took the uh, a course in children's writing from a children's literature course. And eventually I saw a, uh, a woman on television who was a New York Times bestselling author. She'd written over 30 romance novels, really trashy romance novels. But she made writing like sound like so much fun. And that she was doing it full time and, you know, just, just having the time of her life. Just it was her dream. So I looked her up on the website and found she had an email address. And I sent her, you know, an email said, I, I saw you on television. I'm so inspired by your enthusiasm. And, uh, you know, I'd like to do it myself, but I don't know where to start or where to go, you know, this and that. And about a month later, I got this huge email from her essentially saying, send me a chapter, you know, Think of a book, send me a chapter, and uh, we'll go from there. But I want you to take that first step. And since then, she's coached me a little bit. She's proofread some of my stuff. And, and she was really the spark that, you know, the kick in the butt that I needed. That's awesome. Yeah. Writing's hard. 
writing is very hard. I tried, I tried writing a book, yeah. a book in yeah. college, right? So I, the idea was, I'm not going to finish it, so it's fine if I say it, someone can steal it. Um, I saw a music video a long, long time ago. Um, I think it was a Nickelback song. I don't remember. But yeah. the, the, the characters in the music video had like stopwatches, like a timers mm-hmm. above their head. You know, when it reaches yeah. zero, they die. And I was like, right. huh, that's very interesting. That's an interesting concept. So I had the idea of like this scientist, right? Who's very, very yeah. Yeah. Um, infatuated with time and time travel. And like mm-hmm. the idea of going back in time, you right. know, and like he has an accident during it in his lab. And he like, he has, he's the only one who has the ability to see the stopwatches yeah. above people's heads. And, you know, he can't see his own because that's cheating. Um, right. You know, and, like, his wife gets pregnant. And his mm-hmm. wife's, like, stopwatch was, like, you know, 40 years, whatever. Because the first thing you would do is, like, you know, check your parents. You check your mom. You check your, your, your wife, your kids, whatever. So her mm-hmm. wife, his wife has, like, you know, 30 years, whatever, normal lifespan of that era. And then he mm-hmm. gets her pregnant. Yeah. And then that stopwatch goes from 40 years to nine, nine months. Right. Oh. So, right? Cool. So now he's got to right. try and find right. a way to, to, to cheat the clock and try and save her life. And it was like uh, a whole other supernatural different thing part of it. But like yeah. I got writer's block. I wrote mm-hmm. the first act and then I just stopped and haven't touched it in like two years. Mm-hmm. I just, I stopped. I just, I didn't have an ending. I don't have right. an ending. I have a beginning, a middle, yeah. but I can't think of how to end it. I have yeah. all the characters yeah. I want, twists and turns, but I yeah. can't think of how to end it. So did you ever get writer's block? Or first off, what do you think of that idea? <laughs> Give me an honest, as an author, a published author, what do you think of that idea? Is it awful well, or is it great? Idea. I love the idea. Um, you know, to, to a friend of mine shared an idea he has for a book um, is to have the police and a and, uh, gang, you know, a street gang, mm-hmm. police on one side, street gang on the other. And you won't know it, but every character corresponds to a chess piece. Mm. So as the book goes on, somebody gets killed, you know. There goes the rook, yeah. And as the it, it ends up with one policeman at the end, checkmate. That's and, that's yeah. awesome. That, yeah, that's awesome. And, and then he reveals who the characters are and what chess pieces they are, so you can go back and read the book and move the chess pieces. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's book. great. That reminds me because when I was in middle school, we read um, Agatha Christie's, and then they were none. Um, mm, yeah. you know, obviously it's a famous tale. Um, right. but at the end of the book, they had the, the killer's explanation on how he did everything. So my teacher, not wanting to give us spoilers, took the school copies and ripped out that back chapter in every right. single book and didn't let us read it. Oh, but no. then, you know, at the end, once we finished reading the book, she yeah. gave it to us. She gave us a photocopy and said, okay, now read it. Right. And it was like the coolest thing ever. But back to my right. original question, did you ever get writer's block and how did you overcome it? Um... Well, with this book, Beware of the Banker, I knew where I was headed with it, and I knew the story. Mm. You know, because I wanted to follow Bonnie and Clyde. That helps. That very that helps a lot. So there wasn't so much writer's block. Uh, the problem I had is Bonnie and Clyde, in the very end of their life, they were ambushed and uh, shot by the police, you know, many times. You know, they were <laughs> – there was no question. The police just kept shooting and shooting and shooting them. So everybody knows how Bonnie and Clyde ended. And here I'm writing a book about Bonnie and Clyde, and I'm trying to keep true to the story. But when you get to the end, it's like, okay, you know the end. Yeah. You know, there's no mystery to this. Right. So the challenge was, how do I make the ending, you know, fascinating, you know, interesting? 
how do I keep in people's interest, but but yet keep it true to the story. And that was my my biggest challenge was not just giving up and saying, okay, you know how it ends, end of story. But to actually uh, throw in some little curveballs, it was kind of kind of a challenge. It always is because you got you got like you know when they're going left, you got sometimes got to throw a right hook, you got to throw a jab, yeah. you got to throw an uppercut, yeah. throw a running knee. It's very yeah. it, that's the process of writing. And like when you're yeah. writing, you have the idea of oh this is great, I'm going to say this later, yeah. let me jot that down. Yeah. But another hard part is it's like when I was writing, it was like okay, I'm writing, but not even another idea. Let me go back. And that's a mistake, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. That's a mistake. Never go back. Yeah. Or I find, oh, one thing too is these characters that you write become almost like real, like mm-hmm. like your family. Yep. Because you're you're making you're creating their personalities. You're getting to know them. You know what they're thinking, how they interact. Who's your favorite they character? Really, huh? Who's your favorite character? Uh, in the book, it's Acadia. Acadia. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll leave it at that. Um, yeah. character that was but most difficult to write. Most difficult? Yeah, probably Tony, the, the branch manager. Okay, branch manager. Yeah, because on the one hand, he's a branch manager, well-known in the community, um, but yet he's plotting to rob his own bank, and how do you mix the two personalities? Right. So, uh, do you have any? Au- go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, do you have any authors who inspired you? Because I think of Maine, obviously Stephen King, my favorite, yeah. one of my favorite <laughs> writers. My favorite writer is well, I've I've three. I'm cheating. So yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien, because he's the master. I, I, fantasy. I've read all this stuff. Yeah, yeah uh, I have the whole anthology of the history of Middle Earth sitting in my bookshelf. I got through three of them, and I have like eight mm-hmm. left. So wish mm-hmm. me luck. Um, but because I love the movies, I love the whole world, the world building. Yeah. I don't know how he did it. He had a lot of time on his hand. He went to Oxford, so that helped. Um, but my favorite writer for his variety and stories was Michael Crichton. Um, really? And when I heard he passed, I was very upset. I have I have most of his books. The first Jurassic... People don't know Jurassic Park is based on a book. Um, yeah. The first Jurassic Park is excellent. The second Jurassic Park is also excellent. Um, Congo that he wrote is excellent. Prey yeah. is excellent. He wrote so many other books I still need to read. Um, but he's, he's definitely my favorite author in terms of variety. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I mentioned earlier, Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with his books? I am not, but please enlighten uh, me. Oh, God. it's all science fiction. Oh, perfect. And, so yeah, Michael Crichton was all science fiction as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, his first most popular book, he was a prisoner of war in World War II. Um, and the first war, uh, first book is about the bombing of Dresden and what he went through. And, and he's also able to uh, travel through time. And he goes back and forth from earth to a planet called Tralfamador. Mm -hmm. And the Tralfamadorans keep him in a glass cage (laughs) so they can all stand around it and watch him, you know, this earthling, but they're all two dimensional figures. So he can't see them. And they decide that he needs a mate. So they bring up a beautiful Hollywood actress to be his mate. <laughs> and he goes back and forth from Trafamador to his home. And this and that. his uh, children start to worry about him. You know, dad, you know, hello, you know, where have you been? Uh, so it's a, it's a great story, but it also talks a lot about the war and what he went through. And 
that sort of thing. But he's written other books, you know, Cat's Cradle. And he's written dozens of books, but just fabulous, fabulous writing. and Just a lot of bizarre concepts. And, um, you know, his imagination is fantastic. But um, I also like Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, Hemingway's... Uh, we, let a lot, just, we read a lot of Hemingway in high school. Let me tell you yeah, something. Hemingway, yeah. 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 A lot yeah. of his books kind of follow the same structure. Um, yeah. A lot of alcohol, but it's Hemingway. Well, yeah, people, yeah. But people go off and do different things during the day. Then they all get together at a bar at night and talk about them. And they just all become good friends. And no matter what story it is, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the theme. Yeah, if you have an author that doesn't, like, doesn't like Hemingway, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. He's one of the all-time greats, Hemingway. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about research. You were wor- you worked at a bank um, yes. for no, that was the, uh, that was the emergency. So several years. So how what was what was it like working in a bank, and how that how that experience lend itself to the book? Uh, well, I worked in a bank branch for three years, so I know intimately how the bank branches work, and in the different you know what the tellers do, what the manager does, that sort of thing. So I could recreate you know life in a branch bank you know, right you know you know perfectly right you know just a really true description of you know how things work and the security systems they use and that sort of thing and then i worked four years in the bank uh, in the internal audit department and our job was to what they called safeguarding the bank's assets in other words ensuring the employees don't steal mm-hmm. you know and setting up uh uh, roadblocks so that they can't steal. You know, if if you try this, this is how we're going to catch you. If you try this, you know, th- there are safeguards everywhere. Uh, and I got involved. One of our branches was robbed. And our job was to hustle over there as fast as we could to the branch and count first thing, count the money. And of course, see, see, how what, see what's missing. missing. Right. Were bills marked back then? Pardon? Were bills marked? No. Yes, they were. Okay. Every teller had uh, uh, 10 mark bills in their cash drawers. So what was that like, being involved in the robbery, not involved, but part of the – having a well, bank be robbed? What was that like? Well, we got there. The girls were padlocked to their teller stations, mm-hmm. you know, with real handcuffs. Um, that's There were two robbers. They went in, and the first thing they did was handcuff the tellers to their stations and then just emptied their cash drawers. Um, and one of the first things we do is keep the tellers isolated and then count all the money in the bank to determine how much is lost. But it's also an ideal time for a teller to stuff a bunch of 20s in her, her purse or, you know, his wallet or whatever and make it look like the robber took it. So we have to, uh, you know, uh, check that as well. Um, and then say $4,000 is stolen. Uh-huh. We'll put in the paper that eight thousand was stolen. Hmm. Why do we do that? Yeah, why do you do that? Because <laughs> there were two robbers, right? Uh-huh. And they typically split the money when the you know after it's over. And if one says, "Hey, how come I only got two thousand? We split it fifty-fifty, but the paper says there was eight thousand. So you've got to have the rest of the money. You know. Ah, uh, so you get you, you, stole- you get them to turn on each other. Yeah, you get them to turn on each other, and that's very interesting. Because modern yeah. day, they'd call it misinformation. You'd be banned from Facebook. That's inc- yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> that's that's right. inc- what was usually like police tactics. Is modern yeah. day you're sentenced to jail? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's crazy. 
That's very interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. They would, um, they would, I didn't know that. Is that, is that something that's common? Every bank does it. Do they, do they still do it? Yes, they still do they it. They still do it. So you heard it here, folks. If you were to, what you hearing in, what you hear in, the, <laughs> hear in the papers about bank robbers cut it in half. Right. right. Now, was that part of what yeah. you did with, with cops as citizens oriented police no, school? No, but let me finish with the bank. Yeah, robbery. No, please go ahead. Um, they went, they robbed the bank. They went out in the car and it was a very noticeable car. You know, it was like a yellow car. You don't see many of those you know, these days. Well, you know, it was a car that you could pick out very easily in, in traffic. Right. Um, so why did they do that? Why would they want to be in a car that could be uh, These sound like the worst people. bank robbers ever. No. What they did was made sure everybody saw them leaving in this car. And then they had another car parked around the corner. So they dumped the first car and got in this old Ford and took off. So they look for the wrong car. So everybody's looking for this yellow car. Mm. Mm. And meanwhile, they're just driving off, you know, in a, a, you know, nondescript getaway car. I got to rethink bank robberies because everything I think is apparently the exact opposite. Right. (laughs) So that's what I do in my book is, um, you know, the, the robbery in the book, they take off in a, you know, Pretty obvious car. Yeah, and they switch like a, like a clown car. They've got a pickup truck waiting for them. Oh, that's crazy. All right, yeah. so let's let's talk about cops. So, oh, so no. people say, you know, the book is so realistic that uh, they think this is so realistic. It must have really happened. Mm-hmm. You know, this can't be a made up story because there's so much detail here. Well, it's like, nah, man. I'm going off personal experience. That's the best thing to write about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's personal experience, but. So what's what's uh, but, some of the what's some of the receptions you've got that people reach out to you about the book? Obviously, they love it. Um, but like anything that stands out, like a certain review or like a compliment someone gave you, it's like, oh, that's well, the, like that's what I'll never forget. The compliment I get is it's too realistic. You know, um, I can see this happening. Yeah, I can visualize it. This isn't just a fictional story. You know, this really happened because you know because there's just too much detail. And I think that's pretty cool when people say that. Um, get a lot of comments, people saying it was a lot funnier than I was expecting it to be. Um, and I didn't really mean to write a humorous book, but there is a lot of humor in it. And, but the best thing I get is when people say, here's my email address. I want to know when your next book comes out. I want to be the first one to know. Love it. And that's the greatest compliment I could get. Any future plans for a new book? Halfway through it. Halfway through it. Give me, give me a spoiler. Give me a no spoiler. Give me a teaser. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's about a synthetic biologist. Interesting. Yeah. Um, creating artificial DNA that can be woven into a person's DNA to, to cure Alzheimer's, aging, you know, all kinds of things. How could, how could that possibly go wrong? <laughs> so, it's, so it's like a synthetic person trying to play God. Right. Exactly. Interesting. So it's kind of like they're trying yeah. to do like the reverse. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. When's that actually, do you have a altering, published date in mind? No, it's just actually altering uh, people's DNA. Oh, that's crazy. Slowing down the aging process. All right. I like that. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Uh, any, any idea, any idea but, when it's going to come out? But there's a twist to it. Oh, there's a twist to it. Don't tell me a twist. Don't tell us a twist. You guys, you guys sell the book first. Let the right. readers find out what the twist is. Yeah. So that's, well, that's fun. But that's what I'm working on now. All right. 
Right. And it also has a little uh, conspiracy theory about the moon. About the moon. About something that's on the moon that's not on Earth. Oh, God. Is it made of cheese? No. <laughs> no. No. Good guess, but... All right. No. So that's that's but the book. That's yeah. the book. That's the writing process. Yeah. I'm I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to pick up your book. I promise you I'm going to go buy your book. And I'm yeah. going to read it. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about it. I can't wait. Um, oh, please do. Please so do. you are also... Now I'll talk a little yeah. bit more about you now because you have a lot more in your history here. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. So okay. you are also a descendant of Abigail Soames, who, Abigail Soames. as a teenager, was accused of being a witch yeah. during the Salem witch trials. At the very end of the Salem witch trials. The very end. So that's when they had to yeah. know it was, it was BS. They had to know it was fake. So my first right. question is, how do you know? How do you know that? How did you know that? How did you find that out? I actually didn't know that. Um, Maybe 10 years ago, I learned that an uncle that I had who, like, when I was 12 years old, he moved to Saudi Arabia. Mm, interesting choice. And then he moved to Florida, and we kind of lost track of him. Very interesting choice. That's a quite that's quite the direction to go in life, Saudi Arabia to Florida. <laughs> well, he went over there uh, to uh, work construction to build the big uh, sky, skyscrapers and mm. things like that. Awesome. He worked yep. for a company out of, out of Houston, you know, on the contracts. Um, but I just found that he was back in Maine about 10 years ago and I sent him an email. I said, is this really, you know, my uncle John, my brother's, you know, uh, my, uh, my father's younger brother. And he wrote back and says, yep, I'm the one and only. So, uh, made a, uh, you know, important to, to go up there and see him as quickly as I could and just say, you know, I haven't seen you since I was 12. And we were talking and talking about the family and this and that. And he said he had just discovered about this uh, Abigail Soames through, I think it's through uh, Ancestry.com. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They can track some of that stuff. Yep. Yeah. And he said, if you get a chance, Google her name, Abigail Soames. Um, and they have the newspaper clipping of the, her trial, mm. you know, and her whole life story. And he says, you're, you know, a descendant of this Abigail Soames who, who was tried as a witch. So what happened to her? Is she innocent or guilty? Uh, it was right at the end of the witch trials, and they acquitted her. Oh, that's good. That's very, that's very good to but, hear. But there was only one woman who, you know, accused her of witchcraft and said that uh, she had spent a year never going out of the house during the daytime. And she claimed it was because she had an illness. So she's a vampire. And she could only go out at night. <laughs> she, she, could, yeah, she could only go out at night. Um, uh, but, you know, for a whole year, she stayed inside. And this woman said, I would see in my sleep that she was inside of my body. And at one time, she stabbed me with knitting needles. You know, and it yeah. sounded like the woman who accused her was crazier than she was. Sounds like it. For sure. Maybe she was uh, the witch. They, pardon? Maybe she was the witch. It could be. Um, but they actually uh, accused her of witchcraft, put her on trial, and uh, they acquitted her. But it was right at the end of the witch trials when things were winding down. So. But uh, they acquitted her of witchcraft. Well, how much How much do you know of this, the history of the Salem witch trials in general? Because um, being from Massachusetts, I've, of course I've been there. It's a great place. Yeah, to, yeah. It's a really crazy, yeah. weird place to be. But how much do you actually know about um, – the whole history of the Salem witch trials. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um, Have you heard about the theory that um, there was an early frost 
mm-hmm. during those during that season, you know, Messrs. Winners. Yep. And the mushrooms they would normally eat went bad yep. due to the frost. Yep. And when they, when they ate them, yep. they turned psychedelic, and they all just lost their mind and accused everyone of being witchcraft. Have you heard about yep. that? No, I never heard that. Never heard that? So look into no. that. That's pretty crazy. The theory is that they were all just tripping from the yep. psychedelic mushrooms. And they yep. all just thought everyone was a witch because they were just seeing things. Right, right. No, I never heard that. Do you believe that? that Does that sound believable? That, that is unbelievable. Um, no, I'd never heard that. So what, what, what do you know? Fill in some of the blanks in the history of the Salem witch trials. Uh, there was a woman uh, who came from Africa named Tatuba, and she was very charismatic and got all the young girls together. And they think that she was the one who put the witchcraft into these girls' minds. Mm. Um, and, you know, like my ancestor, they, they, they never went outdoors during the daytime. They always kept their curtains closed. Right. And one by one, these girls were accused of witchcraft. I mean, to be fair, if having magical spells, if like a bunch of women in my town are being accused of being witches, I wouldn't leave the house. I'm not being accused. What are you crazy? If someone <laughs> looks at you wrong. They call you a witch and they throw you in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's where they what they did with the witches. Yeah. The ones who were found guilty, they they took them out to sea. So they're like, hey, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna tie a cinder block to your leg. We're gonna throw you in the ocean. If you're mm-hmm. a witch, you'll survive. If you're not, yes. you'll die. Mm-hmm. That's win- pretty much it. It's yeah. a win-win. If you're not a witch, <laughs> you'll die an honorable death. If you are a witch, yeah. we'll figure it out afterwards. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Were they also then, bur- were they also burn at the stake? Was that was that a real thing? They burn at the stake? I don't think so. That's made up. No, that's fine. I guess that's better. I guess I it's better. Yeah, I don't think so. No. You ever been to and Salem? The, pardon? You ever been there to Salem? Many times. Yeah. It's great. It's beautiful. It's the witch city. It is the witch city. I gotta go back there. It's definitely a place. We're right. in October. We're recording this in October. Yeah, I go yeah. for spooky season. But they have haunted houses. They have mm-hmm. recreations of the witch trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of gift stores with witch things. Do they um, do? A, do they do a village like one of those? Um, like in Sturbridge, they do like the actual yes. the, the, the yes, people dressed up in colonial clothes. They play the characters. They still do yeah. that in Salem. They do have a haunted village. Yeah. Oh, the haunted village. Yep, that's it. Yeah. The haunted yeah. village. Man, I miss that growing up, stuff like that in Massachusetts, the whole New England fall yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, Salem. They have a, a psychic festival, mm-hmm. you know, where you can go in and get your fortune told or yep. go back into your past or communicate with loved ones. Candy apples and apple cider. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. Making me hungry, Barry, making me hungry. This is sound, this sounds so great. I got to go back there. Um, there was, there's one place where they will. Uh, have you take part in a witch's uh, spell, teach you how to cast a spell. Good place for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> During the day. <laughs> as long as not too scared, not too young. Like, you know, like yeah. 10 years old, 10, 11 year old kids. That have yeah. a blast yeah. perfect. there. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, are you going to write a book about the Salem Witch Trials, about your, about your, about your Abigail? No, 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 no. No interest? No. All right, All right. fair enough. So no, um, I, really, I would have to do a lot of research into witchcraft. And main character is trips on mushrooms. Half the story you can't trust what he's saying. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so your your storytelling runs in your blood. So you have a grandfather, um, yes. who was yes. a main storyteller. It was yes. popular after is a, was a popular after dinner speaker. 
after dinner speaking. So tell me, tell me about that. He was fascinating um, because, uh, you know, we went up there in the summer and spent, you know, a week with him at a time or whatever. And at night, well, he, he rented cabins. He had like six rental cabins in his mm-hmm. backyard for tourists. And one night a week, he would have a bonfire and invite all the people over and he would tell main stories. You know, he called them tall tales. And it was mostly about hunting stories and, you know, how somebody like would lose a button off the coat and it would hit a bird, kill the bird, the bird would fall down and his beak would, you know, hit a fox and kill the fox, you know, and it would just go on and on and it's on. Crazy, crazy shenanigans. Crazy stories. Um, but they were fantastic stories. It was just great listening to them. Did he make them all up? I think he did. Um, he had a partner named Jones Tracy and together they worked together and improvised a lot. Mm. And this, they actually published a book about that main story. So, um, but I think together they, they uh, made up all the stories. Did he but write, it was really fun. Did he write any of them down? No. Well, this, <sighs> this book, and all I know, it's, uh, that it's him and Jones Tracy, but I have no idea what the title is and I can't find it. Mm. Do you remember any particular stories that stand out? No, you know, I don't. I was a little kid. Um, you know, I really don't. It's too bad. That's sad. It's too bad. That's yeah. sad. Was he a major influence on you in becoming a writer? Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, the the uh, uh, publisher that I'm working with said, uh, he said, well, you know, when, you got, when I got your manuscript, he says, um, he said, first, about 5% of the people that read books want literature. You know, they want studied professional literature, 5%. The other 95% just want to be entertained. Mm-hmm. And he says, when I started reading your manuscript, I said to myself, this guy is sitting right next to me telling me this story. Um, and he said it was so much fun. It was so real. He said, I really thought you would, you know, just telling me a story like a storyteller would. And that kind of like, oh, that's cool. That was what my grandfather did. And that's a secret though, isn't it? Make them think, yeah. it's, make them think it's real. You know, yeah. put them in there. Like, um, I'm currently reading Treasure Island. I actually never read Treasure, I never read Treasure oh, Island. And no. I was like, you know, yeah. I had it in my bookcase. Might as well read it. And yeah. there's just certain parts where I, I'm there. Like people, mm. people like people need to start reading more. Where like they literally like, because you you leave you leave your body. It really is kind of an out of body experience where you're in your mind. You're picturing everything that's happening, and it's just really right. is a surreal experience. Yeah. yeah. Are you are you still a reader? Are you a big reader? Yep. What are you currently yep. reading? Like what 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 tickles your fancy these days? <laughs> um, I just read a book about human trafficking because that's going to be in one of my upcoming books. Mm. Uh, as kind of this is what it's really like and this is what we can do to stop it you know more of a message than you know so I'm reading a lot about human trafficking it's it's really unbelievable yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough topic that's a, that's, a, that's a tough topic to delve into it's something honestly that's kind of even ignored if you search with children well, child trafficking in this country it's ignored what I didn't believe is that right now there are 23 million slaves in the world yeah, actually, actually right. owned, actually owned by people. Yeah, that sounds one hundred percent right. Yeah, definitely. Actually, you know, and 
Like in Asia, they can buy a child for 150 bucks and they just work them 12 hours a day, you know, seven days a week until they collapse. Then they just dispose of them and buy another one. Yeah. And this is going on today. Yeah, that does happen today. No, you're 100% right. That's very accurate. You know, people like to complain about problems in America. Don't get me wrong, they're all problems. But yeah. then you got, yeah. you know, then you got to show a statistic like, you know, children are bought for $150 a day. Yeah. You know, yeah. down south, yeah. there's a big problem with child trafficking in parts of the Midwest. Yeah. Big part of child trafficking. Yeah, yeah, that's awful. But I had no idea to the extent it was uh, today that it really exists. And they said, it, everybody somewhere in your house is, is a product that was made by slavery. Yeah, probably. In every home in America. Whether it's a, you know, a shirt that was made in... A phone. <laughs> yeah. Might as well oh, be yeah. slavery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, if it's it's a shirt that was made in Cambodia or Thailand, um, you know, instantly you know it's, it's it was made slave labor. Um, a lot of chocolate is uh, you know harvested by by slaves. Chocolate? I did not know that. Yeah, and it said the chocolate companies know this. You know that they're buying chocolate that's been produced by well, slaves. Yeah, it's cheap labor, of course. But, well, they can buy it so cheap, it keeps their pro you know, exactly. price down. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care. So they were willing to turn their, turn their, you know, turn their heads to it and, in the name of profit. So you just got to stop buying candy bars. Yeah, I guess. I guess. That's really upsetting. <laughs> like, I, you know, there's some facts I wish but I didn't anyway, know. That's a fact I wish I didn't know. Yeah. Well, good thing my grandfather's not alive because he loved, he loved yeah. chocolate. He would always sneak but, chocolate from my grandmother. Yeah, <laughs> but most of the slaves are either in agriculture or in textiles. Yeah, no, definitely that makes sense. Yeah. All right, so let's let's turn let's end on a happy note. Uh, okay, you went to clown school. Yes. You were taught by the Ringling Brothers um, yes. and Barnum and Bailey circus instructor. Right now, in my forty-five a... minutes of talking to you, I never, ever, ever would have guessed that you were a clown. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to. I went to clown school. So what was what was clown school like? Because okay, we see it we see it in TV shows and movies every now and then. But like, is it really like that? What describe well, clown school to me? Um, I flunked unicycles. It's a great start. <laughs> there was absolutely no way we practiced. We would put our arms around two other people and try to go. Um, and you know, I would go the. We would go right up this way, or I'd fall over front. You know, yeah. I just, I flunk unicycles. It was just now, no. Wait, when you're in class, are you dressed in the full garb, makeup, pants, and everything, or well, is it no, street no, no, clothes? No, just, no, just jeans and a t-shirt. Ah, come on, man. You no. had to go all the way. It's well, harder okay. with, the, with the big hair and the fake nose. Okay, maybe a little bit. Ah, uh, yeah. I know, I know you're <laughs> holding out on me. What were you really doing in clown school? Um, you, uh, to learn how to juggle, I thought this was very cool. We took scarves and just kind of tossed them up in the air uh -huh. and came down. And, you know, it was like slow motion, um, oh, which is a cool way to, that's, cool way to that's do That's awesome. You'd I'm going to remember that. You'd start with two scarves. Yeah. You'd throw one up, pass the other one to your hand, you know, throw one up, pass the other one, you know, over so you could be ready to throw it up again and catch the one coming down. Yeah. And once you got into a good routine, you could add a third scarf. And that's how you started, you know, learning the, the hand move, the rhythm. Um, so by doing it that way, you can learn to juggle very quickly. 
I bet. It's just in slow yeah. motion. So when you do the real thing yeah. with like tennis balls or whatever, yeah. what have you, it's just, oh, yeah. it's super easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, is, it, is it a lot of like getting the muscle memory down with the scarves? It's just rhythm. Rhythm, that too. Rhythm. Just, just knowing how, how hard to throw it, you know, or toss it and when it's going to come down so you get that hand free. You know, you just get into this round and around and around. Uh, but it's very effective, very effective way to learn. That's crazy. Um, I wish I knew that years ago. Cause I remember like, I forget what class it was. My older brother had to learn juggling for class yeah. and like he was struggling to learn. He couldn't do it. I was yeah. like, why are you learning to juggle for school? It's like maybe fifth, sixth, yeah. seventh grade or whatever. It's like yeah. stupid, but I wish I wish I knew that back then. So you got cycling yeah. and juggling. What else do you learn to be? What, what else is What else are the requirements well, to be a clown? Well, actually, uh, learn some very cool card games. Oh, um, very cool card games. You know, ones that people just cannot figure out. Great at parties. Yeah. Uh, but you don't want to do it more than once because people can catch on. Yeah. But if Maybe. you just do this card trick once, you say that, you know, I'll show you another one. Just leaves people like, how did he do that? How yeah. did he know that? You know, how did he know that 16 cards down was the jack of clubs? You know, how did how did or there was one where you sing Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh-huh. And like with Yankee, you turn a card over. Doodle, you turn a card over. Dandy, you turn a card over. And when it's over, is the card the person said, you know, that, that, that they chose at random. And they say, mm. how did... <laughs> yeah. You know, you know I, I... I'll ask you off air. Don't, don't spoil the secret, but I want to know off air. No, but I chose the King of Hearts. We shuffled the cards, and then we took one off at a time. After Yankee Doodle Dandy's over, there's my king of hearts. There's a king of hearts. How did you do that? Yeah. How, how do you do that? That's yeah. wild. Yeah. So that yeah. kind of that kind of goes into magician territory, right? Like, yeah. So like yeah. like uh, my kindergarten birthday party, mm -hmm. we had a clown, and the clown brought a bunny rabbit. Mm. Ever do anything with animals? Bunny rabbits? No, no, no. So um, did you graduate being a clown? I, I would say so. Okay. How how long's the program? Two weeks. That's it. Two weeks. Well, yeah. Well, this was uh, yeah. This was an actual, you know, like a semester of you know I'm going to be a professional clown. This was just sort of an introduction to clowning. Oh, amazing. So what was what was your? And I had I had two little kids at the time, and I thought this would be a riot. Oh, I bet they loved it. Yeah. Boys or girls? Two girls. They definitely loved it. Yeah, <laughs> daddy's a clown. <laughs> daddy do the nose thing. Yeah, yeah. So what was um what was your favorite part of being a clown? Um, distracting people, mm. getting them to look the different way mm. when you're doing something else. How are your balloon animals? I well, you know, we never did that. I don't. Yes, we did. We did do balloon animals. I don't remember it too well, but I do remember we tied. We tied balloons. We made little dogs and stuff. That's hard. See, like, yeah. I thought that, I'm surprised that, you know, even introductory clown school is only, only two weeks. I thought it would be. Oh, no, this was month. more of an introduction. This is a retired clown who, you know, who taught at Ringling Brothers. And mm. he's in Maine now. And he offered this to one of the universities. Was it easier or harder than you thought it would be? I was very discouraged with the unicycles. Yeah. <laughs> To be fair, a unicycle is very hard. That looks very, very difficult. 
But the thing was, some people picked up on it really quickly. It's just balance, right? It's just all balance it's and coordination. Balance, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what else could it be? But it's, uh, but it's balance and it's moving. You're, you're pushing and keeping your balance at the same time. I couldn't do it. We get to, we get to juggle on the unicycle? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. It was fun. I was telling my girlfriend, we got to go see the Big Apple Circus. I haven't been to the Big Apple. Oh, it's yeah. coming back. The Big Apple Circus is Big Apple Circus is post COVID. It's finally coming back. They're doing the first shows. I think in a few weeks. And I was yeah. like, we should go. I haven't been there since kindergarten, and I don't remember any of it. Have you ever seen Cirque du Soleil? No. No. Oh, oh beyond description. Incredible. I I bet. I bet. Yeah. Do they have a lot of like stuff like that up in Maine? Like I guess circuses, fairs, stuff like that. There's one annual circus that comes in the springtime, but we really have to go to Boston. Yeah, I remember you know, growing, growing up, we went to Clark's Trading Post. I think it's in it's in Vermont or New Hampshire. It's I believe it's in New Hampshire. It's probably it New Hampshire. Lincoln, New Hampshire. Yeah. yeah. So Clark's Trading Post was like like a fair. They had like they had bears. I remember bears. Like yeah, it's the bears. Yeah. They had like um. It's on fire. That's a lie. They had they had the bears like in like a pen doing tricks or whatever, and they had right. this train ride through the forest and the wolf man. Yeah, <laughs> and the wolf man scared yeah. the living hell out of me. Yeah, and I yeah. remember this very vividly. My parents love telling the story where we're walking through like the little village or whatever, and the guy who plays the wolf man yeah. is like off duty, is walking through going home, and I yeah. see him and just go. Oh, and just start booking it, <laughs> running as fast as I can from the wolf man. <laughs> no. Just this stuff uh, like that, man. Yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And that's why I like that's why I like talking to people. Cause yeah. especially on a podcast like this, because it's like, what's what's gonna come out? What yeah. what is gonna be said today? On this yeah. podcast, this is going to be absolutely unbelievable. If you told me an hour ago, I'd be telling a story about the Wolfman when I was five years old. I'd right. call you a liar. But Barry, that's the joy of podcasting. That's the glory of podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for being on the show. I hope you had a good time. Your first podcast, how hard was it? How, how do you think it did? Can I do a real quick show and tell? Yes, please. Yes, okay. I beg you. Okay, this is pretty cool. This is the cover of my book. No, I got that right there. Perfect. See that? Yep. So you've got the banker and you've got people in the teller's line, right? Okay. When it got time to do the cover design, the publisher asked me if I had anything in mind. You know, did, yeah. you know you've written the book. You know, what would you like to see on the cover? So I did <laughs> stick figures, you know? Oh, my God. That's exactly what I would do. That's what I did. <laughs> I'm a, I can write, but I can't draw for my life. But that's what I did, and that's what they come up with. Um, you know, but when they received this, the publisher called me back, and he said, I showed your, your sketch to the art department, and they said, brilliant, let's go with it. <laughs> oh, and I my said, God. oh, no, no. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, but, then they put this cover together and it's just, it just was uh, perfect. Just exactly what I was hoping for. All right, Barry, before we go, any, any final stories, yeah. any final comments, any final questions for me even? No, I think we're good. All right, man. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Barry Soames, the author of Beware of the Banker. Get it on Amazon or his 
website. Barry, thank you so much for being yeah. on the podcast for the very first podcast. I thought you did great. I thought we had a yeah. great conversation. I had a great time. I hope you did too. Oh, I sure did. Really enjoyed it. All right, man. You got to get on these more often and sell this book. Um, right. Any right. final things you want to promote? Your website again, social media handles, anything you want to promote, plug away. The floor is yours. The website is where I keep up to date on what I'm, what I'm up to, what my plans are. It's uh, paperbackwriter.biz, B-I-Z, like business, paperbackwriter.biz. And I keep up to date, you know, as far as what's going on. You can order the books through the website. Uh, it's a great place for information and there's a place you can email me with your email address and I'll send you emails, uh, you know, not every day or every week, but just to keep you up to date as to what's going on. And as soon as my next book is uh, on the, on the stands, I'll let you know. All right, Barry, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to pick up a copy of your latest book and make sure I read it before that happens. And ladies and gentlemen, that has been Barry Soames, author of Beware the Banker, Beware of the Banker again. Yes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Will Tarashuk. That's T's and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. This has been Talking with Tarashuk. All of my shenanigans, all my other podcasts can be found over at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. If you are out there and you are an author and want to tell your story, or you have any other reason to want to be on this podcast, you think I might find you interesting, feel free to reach out to me at will at APSpodcast.com. That's A-P-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. And let me know why you want to be on the show, and we'll get it scheduled. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next time with a brand new, I said brand new host, brand new guest talking about, I don't know, <laughs> we'll see. That's the joy of it. But until then, pick up the book, keep reading. It's good for your brain. Keep listening to the podcast, also good for your brain. And we'll be in touch because I'll see you next time. Thank you all. Good night. Recording stopped. All right, Barry. That's that. Easy peasy.